Welcome to Season 2, Episode 25 of Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast for entrepreneurship community practitioners. This podcast is a production of Startup Space, an entrepreneurship community building platform. I'm your host, David Ponraj. In this podcast, we speak with some of the leading voices in the field of inclusive entrepreneurship and learn from their best practices to apply in our own communities as practitioners. Today, we're speaking with Gary Clark, President and CEO at the Economic Alliance, Snohomish County. Welcome, Gary. Thank you, David. Thanks for having me. I am so excited for this conversation today. So let's start out, Gary, by just giving us a, a brief introduction into your role with the county, and also if you could talk about how you got started with this work. Sure, sure. I'd love to. So uh, I am, as you mentioned, President and CEO of Economic Alliance, Nahomish County, just north of Seattle in Washington State. Uh, our county is almost uh, reaching 1 million people. Uh, we have 23 plus communities. Uh, our job here is really to keep and move forward the economic vitality of the county. And that's by attracting businesses. It's by uh, retaining businesses, as you all know. And it, it's by creating new small business efforts and being a countywide chamber. So um, we also recently added uh, quality of life as a focus. And so we've launched a new DEI campaign. So why I got into this, though, is uh, tied to a message I like to give to people when I speak across the country, and uh, it goes by the title of Hustler a Hustler. She had me when she was 19, young African-American queen, skin held melanin tight like the river Nile. She started out uptown next door to the Harvard Street Hustlers, busters hollering at her backside while she carried her two kids on a bus ride. So am I a hustler or a husker? Pops traveled through cocaine surpluses and peacemaker rallies. Got smoked by herb near the alley. Running through streets like track meets from Cardoza High to the valley. But this hustling life ain't free. And all the dope fiends would holler, Ricky! See, I come from a long line of slaves who wouldn't stop running for freedom. Got whipped by the whip so bad the master felt bad and freed them. So am I a hustler or a husker? She called it quits after having six kids straight near the tobacco road. Looked at Henry and said, who needs them? Bled through the world with a heart so big her four-foot frame freed them. While the cop held a loaded gun and screamed, Ricky, who needs them? See, it's a tricky life they left from rural roots to an urban scene. And you wonder why the American life is a dream. Vera May found herself with sugar and near death. Whispered in his ear, I love you. And sent them to college in the heartland with all she had left. I remember the burial as if it never left. Grandpa Hip said, don't take no wooden nickels, but take everything else. Almost missed my flight waiting on an addicted driver. Didn't have any money for luggage, but Pop said, son, you're a survivor. So am I a hustler or a husker? I seldom know the truth, but I know my urban legend helped to free my world roots. So, David, that's why I got into this. I grew up in Washington, D.C., a rough upbringing, homeless, two parents who were addicts, and... Uh, just sheer will and determination and a lack of fear. I took a flight, uh, first time ever, to Nebraska where it uh, set my life on fire. And now I'm in uh, Washington State helping entrepreneurs, helping businesses grow. And I do it because I grew up in a place where I did not see that opportunity. And I want to make sure that I'm having a lasting impact. Wow, this is so powerful. 
we might we might have to go a little bit over our <laughs> our standard recording here uh, because I have so many questions. Uh, let me ask you uh, a very basic question to start this one. Do you feel like you have made it in any sense of the word, uh, kind of from where you started? Do you feel like you are living the American dream? You know, I do only because I knew where I started started out. I knew where I started out. I knew where our community was, and I knew what it looked like to not make it. I knew what it looked like to have friends who lost their lives to gunshots. I knew what it looked like to be running from the cops or to uh, have all of these issues, to be set outside with nowhere to go as a kid. All the way up until high school and even beyond that, my first and second year of college, uh, I did not have an address when I came home. And so... Yes, I feel as though I've made it. I've made the American dream because to me, the American dream isn't about material things, but what you can give back to uh, the American community. And I feel like I'm able to do that with Economic Alliance in Homeless County. So then, of course, the follow up question is, do you consider yourself to be that blueprint? Can we look at your life and say, if Gary can make it, there are thousands of Gary's out there in the world today in the U.S. Is this a blueprint we can use? Only in the sense that if we can overcome our fear of the things that trap us, uh, of the societal structures that are not always set up to help us succeed, then yes, you know, because I think persevering is the blueprint. And I think anyone in any circumstance that's even worse than mine, uh, can continue to persevere and look for windows and opportunities to get out of that space they're in. So yes, totally, um, there's some element of a blueprint there, but everyone's story is different and, and, and needs uh, a deeper context for sure. Let's talk about these barriers. I mean, you've uh, lived it all to say, and I am, am an immigrant. I've come from another country and have had to do my own journey, uh, had to uh, bike for almost two years to college uh, on a bicycle that somebody donated to me. Like, you know, I used to watch people wash their cars on the weekends and I would actually take my bicycle and wash it and oil it because if that thing broke down, I had no way and I had to travel about 12 miles uh, six miles each way to go to college. Uh, but your story is even more powerful. Uh, and you touched on it through the pros and uh, also a little bit, uh, you just mentioned it. Can you tell us a little bit about your story and kind of some of the challenges you've had to overcome? Yeah, uh, and I appreciate that. And I, I, I'm thankful that I, I've heard your story too, because I think that's an amazing journey. I believe that starting out, uh, because of the massive, uh, incarceration issue in Washington, D.C., and also uh, it was the murder capital of the country at, at that time as well. And, and drugs, they were just all over the place there. Both my parents were early addicts, and so that meant, meant that I went to 13 different schools. I lived in uh, as many different homes as well, and I, that was the early barrier for me. It was realizing that that wasn't all that there was. It's very difficult for kids who are currently in that situation um, to go to school and come home and realize that maybe there's more to life than this. And so the barriers initially were homelessness. 
and lack of food, lack of services and programs and lack of a reality of a dream. And so starting out early, David, I would say just making sure that I could fight back what I thought was normal, you know, uh, to get into a life of crime or to uh, do something uh, for short term gain, you know, uh, or to make sure that I was able to protect and save my own life and, and others in my family. So those are barriers, just staying alive, staying alive long enough to reach your goal, right? And it's probably something that everyone can, can, can tie into. And so that was the initial barrier. The second one that I would think of is educating yourself uh, and, and breaking out of maybe some of the issues that the struggles that we have with uh, learning. There's so many learning disabilities and issues and barriers. So you, you're starting out, you know, behind the line already. And I'm a, I'm a former track athlete. So I would say uh, the race line is here and you're starting 200 meters behind everyone else. And you got to keep up and you got to pick up that speed. So how do you make up that difference when you have those barriers? And that is my question. That's the fascination for me because you've been able to overcome that uh, 200 meters that you were behind. Uh, and, and a lot of entrepreneurs today struggle with that, that it's not a level playing field. In fact, it's tilted the other way. You're climbing uphill to start. And, uh, and so your story is fascinating because through uh, sheer determination, but I'm also sure through some guardian angels along the way, uh, kind of helped you uh, break through. Can you share, you know, your life going into college and then ending yeah. up where you are today? Yeah. So I was so afraid um, that... Um, of succeeding. And so in high school, uh, all the way up to college, I did not run track and field until my senior year. I met a lady by the name of Angela Bossy, and she was a gifted and talented uh, teacher at Montgomery Blair High School in Silver Spring, Maryland. And I was using a false address to go to the school in Maryland and uh, international school. So just an eclectic group of people. And uh, she knew that I had talent. And she said, you need to go out for this, uh, this uh, sport, run cross country. And I was all into basketball, David. I thought I was going to be Scottie Pippen. And uh, it wasn't happening. You, you look a little bit like him, too. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. And so and that was my favorite player, Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. And, uh, and I realized I wasn't getting any offers. And my GPA was uh, just about hovering on uh, being eligible to play sports. So 2.0 GPA, I was just barely making it. And um, Angela Bossy giving me an opportunity to run cross, cross country and becoming the top runner almost immediately on the team. I broke two records right away and I had American University in Washington DC showing up to every race. And um, actually the summer of my, my senior year when I graduated, uh, I found out that I, I failed the SAT three times, David. Could not get the score to get a full scholarship to American. So they just walked away. And um, my mother, who had just, she had just gotten clean and sober and came home with these two pamphlets. And there were two applications to a place called Nebraska. <laughs> and I'd never flown anywhere. I'd never been anywhere. And she said, well, here's an opportunity for you. And I took the flight to Nebraska and it literally saved my life. I 
met some amazing instructors and teachers who set my mind on fire. And I had a 3.9 GPA that first semester, and I was a provisional acceptance. So you know what that means, right? It's like you don't get you don't get this this GPA. We're sending you home because you can't hack it. And uh, it was an amazing uh, catapult to my life. And I became a Hall of Fame runner there, national champion, broke 11 records in track and field, and uh, got a full scholarship to the University of Nebraska at Omaha uh, for uh, graduate school. And I remember, I just posted this on my social media, I remember calling my mother and her crying on the phone when I told her they were going to pay for everything. <laughs> and we just couldn't believe it. And that's why I'm standing here today, sitting here on, the, uh, on this call with you. Because there were a lot of people behind the scenes who, who helped me get there. Laura Lamar, who was a uh, sociology professor, just made me believe that I was really special. And so it, it does take those guardian angels to support me. That's, that's fascinating. Uh, such an incredible story. Uh, when you look at uh, some of those uh, barriers, and we'll just touch on it for one more second, and then I, I want to talk about economic development. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, Economic development at its root is really about homelessness, uh, affordable housing, childcare, right? Like all of these things. When you look back, is there something that you think uh, you will be doing in your lifetime to go back and address uh, what, you know, because one of the things that I, I've seen, and I'm, I'm trying to pull up his name here because I was on a, at a conference and he spoke uh, about it. His name is Marcus Bullock, and he is the CEO of FlickShop. He went to prison when he was 16 years old uh, and for served a term of eight years. And that, yeah, and, and just like you, he had guardian angels. He came out his, and his guardian angel was his mother who basically would send him pictures every day of, of life outside the prison. So when he came out, he knew where to start. That He said he, that is what saved him. Mm -hmm. And he started his business. But his life and his life's journey informed the work he's doing today to kind of go back and, and give back. What, what do you look at that and say you're going to do? Yeah, you know, I, I remember uh, being set out. And by that, I mean when we didn't have the money to pay for our downstairs apartment in Northeast D.C., um, all of our stuff being kicked out. And they pull all your stuff out in front of the neighbors. And it sits out there until you either get the money to get back into the apartment or until they just move it to the trash. And while standing there as a six-year-old, seven-year-old, nine-year-old kid, just going through it over and over again, it was emasculating. And I just remember sitting there thinking, if I ever get out of this situation, I'm going to make sure that I'm making an impact in a community like this, that I am the one voicing for the voiceless in this space. And so really, David, I think when I was young, I knew that I wanted to do this type of work, to reach back into communities and, and say, hey, homelessness is not okay. But it also means that that could be our next president of the United States as a kid sitting there in that homeless tent. And so let's make sure that we're giving everyone equal opportunity. Yeah, so, so let's talk about uh, economic development, right? In this space, uh, starting a business is and and when I came to the U.S., I started a business because uh, I looked at the U.S. as the promised land, right, the land of milk and honey. And I came here and I said, okay, I'm going to start a business. And four years later, it crashed and burnt. And uh, 
And I was shocked because I thought I was going to go change the world with my business. And then I hit this brick wall. And I look at it and say, you know, I had a lot of capital, the social capital, intellectual capital. Uh, I had a great network. How many people start 200 yards behind me? And I'm an immigrant. So, right, there are people even starting way behind me. Mm-hmm. How do we kind of level this playing field? Like, how do we make it easier for yeah. people that have less to start business? Yeah, the first thing is to realize that they have an impact on commerce. They have an impact on any potential uh, opportunity that we have to provide services to the country. And so entrepreneurs come from this base of making life better for everyone. And so we come from that premise. The goal is that we put people who look like those people in a space to be connectors, to be conveyors and conveners of, of information. I just got off a call today with our board of trustees, which is about 55 people. And the conversation was, how do we deal with the BIPOC community itself and how do we engage them? And I said, you know, this is why we have an issue where there's no uh, relationship. Uh, And it's because we don't have those relationships built, David. And so there's a lack of trust. And so I think that the best thing I've seen is that we've been able to, in certain counties and communities across the country, been able to put uh, direct conveyors of information to people, building relationships from the ground up, making sure that entrepreneurs trust the information that you're providing to them, but you don't give up on them either because it's difficult and it's an uphill battle, like you said, how you started. And so our job is to constantly provide services and never give up. And I feel as though where we've failed in certain places it's simply because we have not provided that conduit for information. Um, if it's an uh, Asian uh, community, if it's an African-American community, uh, uh, Indian-American community, do they have someone that's connected from, from their culture, from your organization? Probably not. And so we have to fix ourselves as, as economic development entities and resource providers to match the people that we're trying to reach. Okay, there's lots to unpack here. Simple question. Is this a widely known fact, what you're stating? I think it's becoming more true only because of the shift during the pandemic that showed that the funding that we had out there was not reaching these people. Uh, we had these uh, the CARES funding, uh, if you look at the numbers, Across the country, counties failed to reach those BIPOC folks. So why did we fail? Because we didn't have relationships in the first place with them for them to even trust us. And they're struggling, losing the companies, losing staff, uh, closing shops. And all the while, we have the capacity to support them. And we can't get it to them because we, we didn't build a relationship in the first place. So, yeah. It's amazing that you and I are speaking about this for the first time. And we're speaking, and I live in Tampa, Florida. <laughs> you live on the other part of the country. And we both have, I think, uh, the exact same view of the problem. So I actually have data to back up your statement. Mm-hmm. So we did a study of 750 small businesses in Detroit. And the number one factor is that the lack of the trusted network mm. and what we call the community navigator. Yes. And it can't just be, you know, it can't just be somebody you put there. Yeah. It has to be a trusted relationship. 
And if it's someone from the outside, that can take decades. Yes. You're not just going to just show up and then be like, yeah. okay, I've got it all. There is no trust, right? Yeah. Uh, absolutely. So, you know, w- what we push for is this idea of this trusted connector on mm-hmm. the ground, mm-hmm. a navigator, somebody who kind of has the network, but also has the trust with the community. Yes. And, and you look at like PPP and the mm-hmm. two rules for PPP were you need to have a trusted banking relationship and you need to have your cash flow statements. Small businesses, now the 200 yards has become 500 yeah. yards. They don't have a trusted banker. They're, you know, two generations removed from a trusted banker. And David, you know where that issue lies is on the federal end. The people making the policies that have no relation to the ground. And yeah. so the policies don't match the actual needs. These conversations, though, Gary, are moving the needle. And I'll tell you why. So as we speak, the federal government announced a $100 million grant program awardees called this SBA Community Navigator ah, Pilot yes. Program. Yes. They just announced it just before this call. That, that money is a direct outcome of conversations like this, mm-hmm. where they realize that you need to have these community navigators on the ground, and they're going to actually fund programs to build this. Because it's not about having a trillion dollars to hand down. You're never going to reach the people, right? You need to have the trusted relationships from the ground up. Right. And then you can uh, make a difference. I think that's amazing. And thank you for sharing that. I mean, we got breaking news on your show. This is awesome. <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you. And, and, you know, so let's talk a little bit more about your work. And, you know, what plans do you have for your community? And because I think... Uh, like I think the people listening can really benefit from some of the ideas that you have, even if they're just ideas mm-hmm. on how we can go about doing this work. Yeah, so we just started a proposal and we call it the Snoco Creative Haven. And so this is for our business community. So our organization has some partners. We have the Procurement uh, Technical Assistance Organization that focuses on assisting businesses from the ground up, and that's PTAC. We also have the federal program, which is called uh, Department of Transportation, SBTRC, and that's direct engagement with uh, impoverished and underserved communities. And so we have those two services. And then uh, the SBTRC is tied to and connected to five other states in our region. We also have a small business development center. And so we thought about this, David, we said, we got all of these resources but we don't have a location, a central location for businesses, small businesses to come and say, all right, we can find information right here that everyone points to go to, to the creative haven. And then CEOs like yourself who have all these amazing ideas, but they're coming from out of the country and they need some support, direct support and engagement to nourish or a location. So this creative haven is an office space that also has business offices for for individuals that are entrepreneurs to to lease out those spaces. But also, if the hub is there, the spoke is all of our community counties. Uh, And so in our county, we have all of these communities and we have these chambers. So we want to make sure the resources are getting from there to us and back. So that is the project that we're working on right now to get funding for and move forward. Another component to this, though, is tied to how do we make sure that our workforce uh, has connectivity to our our young talent? And so we have a program called STEM um, that I'm sure you're aware of, and that's that's connecting with businesses to educate youth 
and get them directly into that system of learning how to build programming, how to do technical projects with science and math. And so we're trying to do this connection piece the same as the Spoken Hub project. Um, those are just two elements of, of the work that we do. Another thing that we're really rolling out, David, is as we talked about, the navigator system. We have a workforce Snohomish County, which is merging together with us to make sure that we are creating a direct connection to our business community. So hopefully this next round of funding, uh, as you mentioned, there's an opportunity to do more work in this space. So that's just to name a few things that we're working on right now. Oh, wow. That, that's fascinating. Now, uh, can we talk a little bit more about the, the culture of uh, small businesses? Because I feel like you need to get the village uh, to rally around the small business. Are you all doing anything around, you know, the culture of entrepreneurship and innovation uh, in your county? Yeah, so we, we have an innovation uh, program that was started years ago, and that's focused on the huge new technology efforts. So we also have uh, University of Washington, Bothell. Uh, we have University of, we have actually have Washington State University, Everett, and we have several other uh, colleges that are tied to this work, um, and also Edmonds College and a few others. And so we're trying to merge the entrepreneurship space tied to uh, the institutions of education. And so we've started to have just a, what we call a lounge conversation with entrepreneurs. And a lot of them, David, as you know, they're not really looking for, some of them are looking for technical assistance, but others are just looking to bounce ideas off of the other CEOs or creatives. And so our job is to find a way to make that space available and so we're started there oh the idea of this intentional collisions yeah right? you you provide the space and let these minds get together yeah uh yeah it's it's bill gates running into uh the head of amazon and thinking oh maybe we have a collaboration which is actually happening today i mean there was an announcement the other day that there's uh aviation effort tied to those two companies um, moving together. So there's just stuff always happening, but on a lower tier, we need to make sure that those collisions are happening so we can have the next David show up in Snohomish County. Yeah, absolutely. Let's let's uh, wrap up just that topic with around, uh, is there space? Uh, because uh, the intentionality of inclusivity matters, not just saying, you know, everyone's welcome, you know, you have to have people that look like you. You need to have programs that cater to you, that understand your starting point. Have you made that intentional uh, inclusivity in your programming? Yeah, we've started to, and I'll be very honest with you, um, we intentionally look for uh, folks who fit uh, our, the makeup of our community. And, and I think that's very clear. And then we just launched yesterday with the uh, state representative here, who is uh, April Berg, uh, also our county executive, Dave Summers, we created what we call the Snow Code program. And Snow Code is to bring CEOs together to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion. So in their individual corporations, have they created that culture that nurtures the potential for new Americans and others to feel comfortable? And because we know, and I know you have these stats because your team is awesome, 
But the bottom line is exponentially increased when inclusion is happening in your organization, and that's gender and race. So, we- and I'll yeah, and I'll tell you something to that point here, Gary. This is my secret. I I, I that's a fact, right? It's mm-hmm. actually a fact. Diversity uh, increases your triple bottom line. Period. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. you make more money when you hire more diverse individuals. Yes. I yeah, <laughs> I try to take it even one step further. I say, I don't even care about the bottom line. I just want to just hire people that look different than me. Yeah. So make that the rule. Like, I don't care about the outcome. Yeah. Everybody on the team needs to look different from each other because that's when we get great minds together. People that have different lived experiences, people that come from different places, that speak different languages. Yeah. Uh, we are 80% uh, women run our, our company. Yeah. And because we just wanted it to be different and uh, uh, race, ethnicity, all of that really matters because when I have a team that doesn't look like each other, we are going to win no yeah. matter what. You're going to get you're going to get different concepts and ideas. And we have an open door policy that anyone on my team, no matter what their title is, can come in and say, hey, Gary, I think this is a better idea. And And you have to bounce that off of each other. If we're out there, David talking about supporting entrepreneurs and startups, but our efforts are not in that same vein. We're not creative at all. We don't have any nimbleness, everything system function and government. Then how are we really going to support them if we don't even know what it feels like to be them? So yeah, my role is to create that energy here with my, my staff as well. That's amazing. I'll, I'll share a quick anecdote about eShip. So you've been to eShip, Mm -hmm. uh, we were at an eShip conference, uh, I think three years back, and they said, you know what, we're going to think about these eShip, uh, they had, you know, all these different pillars. And they said, we're going to give you all a business model canvas, an actual physical canvas, and we want all of you to use it. And half the audience was like, we haven't done this, but they teach that to their small businesses. They ask them, do you have a business model canvas? Do you know customer discovery? Have you done product market fit? We don't deal with the businesses ourselves that way. I think, you know, great point. We got to start yeah. doing it ourselves. I mean, you know, I have to quote the the famous poet, Notorious B.I.G. He once said, I'm not only the client, I'm the president. So <laughs> you have to be a practitioner of that work. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. No, this is, this is amazing. So question for you. Um, if there are people listening to this podcast that want to be on this journey, mm-hmm. How did you make that transition? How did you now? And I know that your work is informed by where you came from, yes. and this is one of the best ways to fix that problem. But people entering this field, you know, what are some advice you'd give them in in trying to get into this field? I think you have to have a passion for this work. Um, if you're in it just to make money or just to uh, profit, you're probably not going to be in it very long. And so I think. The true key here for economic developers across the country is to have a story to tell for your community, your county, and your entrepreneurs, and make sure that that is reverberating from leadership, legislatively, all the way down to that new American who has that concept and idea to make the American dream. So it is storytelling. It is also being honest, open, and candid about where we are. If we're making mistakes and we don't have the right system and function there, let's be honest and say that we have some work to do. And I think that is how you become successful in this field is being honest about where you are 
having a passion for it and having little fear at all for failure. Wow. That's, that's incredible. Now, for somebody who has been here for a while, like let's say somebody is a veteran in the space, how do you break down some of the barriers and start conversations? Because uh, we're just on the tip of the iceberg. In fact, uh, you know, I think you'll agree with me that we haven't actually made much progress in the last 100 years on closing the poverty gap. Like we're doing great work, but the gap is actually getting bigger, smaller. We got to get to the starting line, right? Like let's get to the starting line. Yeah. How do we do that? Yeah, I think... People like you who know the stats, who know the fact that when we're talking about consumers, uh, the numbers show that a lot of those folks are in a space of poverty. Uh, Our our national consumers come from uh, across the country, the metro areas of these places that are urban tenements. Those are the people who are actually, you know, shopping. They're actually moving the needle. So if, if you want to have success, it is to engage those people. And to pull them out, you know, the, the key here is, is that if we continue to move to uh, financial stability and education in these core places, giving people more opportunity. We just rolled out uh, a plan for a couple trillion dollars called the Build Back Better, right? And yes. a couple trillion dollars proposing. And we know that it takes less than that to eradicate poverty. So what are we waiting on? Uh, I think some of the bottom lines of the major companies in our in our world and in the U.S. show that they have the capacity to eradicate poverty with their $20 billion. You know, $20 billion. It's a small number if we're think, thinking about trillions now, David. So I think that it is uh, incumbent upon people like you and me to continue to push and yell up to the top. And if you were to ask me what my dream, my ultimate dream is, is to maybe one day be at Congress to make sure that that language from the street is heard in the Capitol. And I think that's how we enact change. Can I say that we heard it here first, that you're running for Congress? (laughs) (laughs) You're just breaking news all over the place today. <laughs> no, but I, I think I think you'll do wonderful. I think your lived experiences are what we need yeah. uh, to make the difference. Right? It's not about the money. We have all the resources in the world, mm-hmm. but we need to now be intentional about it. How do we get it to the places where the problems are? You said at first that your culture is to make it as eclectic and diverse and inclusive as possible because you know the facts. The numbers show that. So if you're a numbers person, follow the numbers. Follow the numbers. That's awesome. Oh, we can keep going on, but I'm going to stop here. Hopefully we can bring you back for another follow-up. And, uh, you know, six months from now, we would love to kind of continue this conversation. And, and I can think of so many other forums where we would love to have you. Uh, and Thank you. here, I'm sure our practitioners will also be able to reach out. How can they best reach out to you on all the different mediums you're on? So my name is Gary Clark, and you can find me on Facebook at Gary Clark with two R's. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn at Gary Clark as well. And also our, our organization name is on our website is actually Economic Alliance Snohomish County SC. So I know it's a lot there, but uh, Economic Alliance Snohomish County SC.org is our website as well. And we will have all of this in the show notes. And we'll also be tagging you on Facebook and LinkedIn and Instagram and all the other mediums. 
Thank you, David. My uh, Instagram is Unlikely Viking, which is my memoir. We can talk about that another time. Awesome. <laughs> well, it was a pleasure having you on the call today. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, David. Thanks for listening to this episode of Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast for entrepreneurship community practitioners hosted by David Ponraj. Special thanks to Gary Clark for joining us. Show notes and cover art by creative director Jackie Dietrich. Edited and produced by Lauren Bernard. If you'd like to suggest interviews, new topics, or just want to reach out, please email us at podcast at startupspace.app. All Breaking Down Barriers episodes are available on our website or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Feel free to rate, review, and subscribe for all the latest updates.